0: Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling.
1: Alright, welcome to the show. Episode 6 of the Bucks Wire Podcast. I'm Ryan O'Leary, joined by Luke Easterling. The Bucks are 3-1, Luke, and that was uh, was some brilliance by Brady and the Bucks in the second half to pull that thing out. Uh, How you feeling right now? What's going on in Tampa country?
2: Man, six episodes already. Time flies when you're it having does. fun, it winning does, games, and, and leading your division. Right? It's, no, it's it's great down here, man. I mean, obviously the uh, we talked about the uh, the Lightning Stanley Cup last week in last week's episode, and I think that yep. the you know it's the Bucks are feeding off that man. The, the Lightning were in the house for this game. They brought the cup with them. Obviously, you know the game turned on that that big fumble right before the half. We talked to you know Bruce Arians, Indama Sue, Mike Evans, everybody on the Bucs' sideline were convinced that the Chargers were going to take a knee there. And you know, it you know, you talk about complimentary football and how it takes all three phases, and that whole sequence is all three phases at work. Bradley Pinion with a great punt, pins them deep inside their own ten. Obviously the the Bucks are expecting them to take a knee, but they don't. You have two rookies, you know, they fumble in exchange with Herbert and Kelly, and you know, it's and Dominican Sue, an experienced veteran. A guy is there to take advantage and to make a play when the opportunity was presented. You give the ball back to the offense. They get down to third and goal. Mike Evans on one leg. Goes up, you know, jumps out of the gym for uh, for a touchdown catch, even though he's, he's obviously clearly injured. Uh, and that, they completely changed the complexion of that game. It's not that's 24-7. Huge. It's 24-14. You've got all the momentum now, and your opponent is the one now that's shell-shocked, and you could just tell it completely changed the energy of that game.
1: Yeah, what a gift, <laughs> but what a play, too, by the Bucks to just get that turnover and punch it in there on third down, like you said. I mean, I, I just told you right before we hopped on, I took the Bucks in Survivor. I'm like, no way Brady's going to lose to this rookie quarterback. But man, Justin Herbert looks kind of good. He looks like he can play a little bit. But man, that first half, everything went wrong, right? I mean, that was terrible. After the first drive... And then we get the pick six, and I'm telling you, I've seen so many Brady games in my life from you know him being in New England and me living in New England. There's some games where I'm like, we don't have it today. It's just not going to happen. Like Brady sucks. He's throwing the pick six. I've seen that game so many times where it just does not come together. But I also knew, Luke, what was coming as soon as they got that ball at the end of the half and they punched it in. I knew what was coming in that second half. And I got to tell you, I was in my little Patriots footy pajamas wishing Brady was still a Patriots quarterback in that second half because he was awesome. And you even wrote about it. Those uh, predicting his demise, greatly exaggerated.
2: Uh, you know, and I think everybody's been waiting to to dunk on him, right? But, you, know, for, to, you know, for 20 years and you dominate so much and you always winning every other Super Bowl and, and snatching it out of you know other teams' hands. There's a lot of people around the league that are waiting for that day that Brady proves it's over, you know and, and he can't do what he did yesterday. but instead, what does the forty three year old guy go out there and do but do things that he's never done? He's never thrown five touchdown passes to five different receivers. He did that yesterday. Nobody's ever won as many regular season games as he has now. He's won two hundred and twenty two games in his career more than any other position player you know in the league. I mean, it's you know, and he did it with without some of his guys, you know, it, He made some big plays to O.J. Howard, but then O.J. Howard goes down. They had injuries. They were without Leonard Fournette and LaShawn McCoy. So what does he do for the game-winning touchdown? He finds rookie Kishon Vaughn, who barely (laughs) had any snaps whatsoever going into this game. And he trusts him to make a play. He does make a play. You know, he's without Chris Godwin the whole game. Uh, you know, we did get a vintage. We did get a vintage Gronk catch, though, which was amazing. He mm-hmm. got that big, you know, the big one down the seam where he ripped it away from a defender. But I mean, everything we saw from Brady yesterday was exactly what we've always seen from him throughout his prime, and that was just a, a big, giant statement to all the haters who are waiting for him to collapse and waiting for him to fall apart. That he is still able to play this game at an extremely high level, still able to mount second half comebacks down double digits. Obviously, you know, the, the defense has to play its part, but man, Brady Brady was in, you know, mid-season mid-career form yesterday. It was a thing of beauty.
1: Oh no, he looked like it was 2010. He did. He looked he looked unbelievable in that in that second half especially in I'm not sure what the Chargers were doing on defense. Like, I don't know what – I'm, I'm not an expert on the Chargers. I don't know what their personnel looks like on D, but why were they sitting in the zone, Luke, for so long and just letting Brady shred them? Because if you're going to sit in a zone, I'm telling you, Brady's the best quarterback ever at playing against the zone. Just ask the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've done it to him for years and years and years, and he torches them, too, every time. If he knows you're sitting in a zone, man, he is going to slice and dice you. And I think I read on the next-gen stats they had Brady for, like, four of his TD passes were against the zone defense. Look, you can't beat him that way. you got to play man. you got to get in his face. The Chargers kind of let back, and boy, did they pay for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the old adage is that prevent defense only ever prevents you from winning, Seriously, right? That's yeah. You know, and, and that's what happened Sunday. I think there was a stretch where Brady went 14 of 15 for 222, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and that's yep. just – you know, it is a testament partly to that approach from the Chargers because if you look at what injuries they're dealing with, they don't have Darwin James, they didn't have Melvin Ingram in this game. So you're out one of your best pass rushers, you're out one of your, you know, chess piece type of guys that can move around and do a bunch of things. If you know you're going to get less pressure from your front four, you've got to compensate for that in some way, and especially with a quarterback who does way better against zone in a four-man rush than, than you know, putting extra guys in his face. I, it is very very puzzled. You know, they're not the only team to do that. We, saw, we felt the same way about the Bucs in Week 2 against Carolina when they went up big at the half, and then they kind of laid back and, and let the, the Panthers kind of march back into it there and, and needed a late touchdown to kind of put that one away. So no matter what the team is, I'll never understand going two quarters with a bunch of things that are working and being aggressive Seriously. and then spending the next quarter and a half letting it all go to waste because you just want to sit back and, and, and you're too scared to play to win instead of playing not to lose it never works
1: on the other side of the football the defense the defense gets like a d plus in this game right i mean this is not what we were expecting i thought the defense was going to go dominate the rookie quarterback got to give justin herbert some credit that kid can play he took some hits he stood in there against the bucks pressure it seemed like their plan was to come after him and didn't work did it it
2: didn't. And you know what? They should have expected it. And and earlier in the week when we talked to, uh, you know, Bruce Arians, we talked to Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator. You know, we specifically spoke to him about the fact that so far this season, Justin Herbert, has been killing the blitz. He has been very, very effective against the blitz, getting rid of the ball, making big plays, and taking advantage of those you know one-on-one matchups, those cover zero situations where you kind of bring the house and, and try to get in the space. And that's exactly what they did on Sunday, and he beat them yeah. over and over and over again. He made great throws under pressure, uh, and I think that's what happened in the first half is that the Bucks just didn't have enough respect uh, for what Justin Herbert can do. And Justin Herbert was probably just not experienced enough to not – trust himself, you know, and, and just let it fly and let it go, you know, instead of thinking too much about it. So I think that in the first half, that's what happened. Uh, obviously, kudos to the to, to the Bucs staff, to the defensive uh, players for kind of coming back with a whole new plan in the second half. They played a little more zone. Obviously, that's what happened on the interception that, that kind of ended the game. Carlton Davis, you know, read everything, came off of his receiver and made a great play there. But, you know, if, if you're going to give up – that much yardage, those many big plays, and they gave up another one in the second half, but it was the only one. You know, they only gave up the one touchdown. So, again, complimentary football. If you're down big and you want to make a comeback, not only does the offense have to keep scoring, but you got to start making stops. The whole team worked together and, and made it happen and, and mounted the comeback. It was it was very much a tale of two halves in a very different way than we saw the
1: past couple of weeks. No, no, it's sweet. And uh, as we've been talking about, the Bucs have had their moments of bad football here, but they haven't let it kind of suck the life out of them and let them lose football games, except for week one, ever since week one. And uh, Bruce Arians even said that after the game. He said, this game might have gone differently in the past. So I want to touch on that a little bit, get deeper into this conversation with Luke. We'll be right back.
2: Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Start up.
0: These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com.
3: Corey Benini with Huddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for Week 5. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater faces the Atlanta Falcons, which is the worst defense of quarterbacks through four weeks. Atlanta has many injuries on the back end, and Carolina has plenty of ways to exploit this defense. It has been so bad, even Nick Foles threw three touchdowns and a half just a couple weeks ago. With Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers on a bye, consider Teddy Bridgewater as a viable starting quarterback. Jacksonville Jaguars running back James Robinson has the best matchup in the league league for rushing yards generated Houston has given up 651 yards on the ground in four games including six rushing touchdowns that's one every 20 carries in addition running backs have added another touchdown through the air there's no telling how Houston will respond to the firing of head coach Bill O'Brien this week but what we do know is this is a prime matchup to be exploited and Robinson should be a running back two in all redraft lineups Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Zach Pascal has a fine matchup of his own the Cleveland Browns have given up eight touchdowns in four games Against wide receivers. Names on the list include the likes of Willie Sneed, Mike Thomas, no, not that Mike Thomas, and Dontrell Inman. As you can see, that's not exactly a high bar to cross. Pascal will have some ups and downs, and Philip Rivers has struggled, but this is a great matchup and he's playable in a pinch. Pittsburgh Steelers tight end Eric Ebron comes back from their premature bye week to face the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a fine gamble for owners who are looking for a fill in tight end or even a flex play. Philadelphia has permitted the position to score once every six and a half catches, which is the fourth-highest rate. Just four teams have allowed more yards and more catches to the position in 2020, and a little extra time to prepare works in Pittsburgh's favor. Be sure to stay up on the latest news and notes, especially with COVID-19's impact on fantasy football. For more information, check out thehuddle.com.
1: It's good. You know, it's a long season, and we're 25% of the way through, so it's not early anymore. You know, we have a decent sample size. we got to figure out what we're good at, what we're not good at and keep working to get better. And uh, the guys that haven't had much of a role got to find a way to find a role for themselves. And the guys that have got to keep improving it and increasing it. And uh, I know we have a lot of playmakers out there, but we got to continue to gain trust in one another, become more dependable and consistent and ultimately play, you know, well for 60 minutes and see what it looks like. So not exactly a 60-minute game. There's there's Tom Brady, my guy Brady. One thing that's pretty interesting here, and I don't know if it's like a shot at Jameis Winston, Luke, when Bruce makes these comments like, hey, we would have lost that game by 20 last year, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's a shot at Jameis. People on Twitter and the in the media kind of run with that and be like, oh, look at Bruce crapping on uh, Jameis Winston. But I think that brings up a kind of interesting, like, commentary. Like, what do you think? Like, where would the Bucks be right now four games into the 2020 season? If they still had Jameis at QB,
2: well, I think I, I, honestly, you know, there's there's there are a lot of differences between the two of them. Both, you know, in the way they approach the game, you know, good and bad. There's things that Jameis can do that, that Tom can't in mm-hmm. terms of you no know doubt. getting out of the pocket, making plays when things break down. He's you know a better athlete. He he can make certain things happen. And he it's not like he didn't mount his own comebacks throughout his time in Tampa. I mean, they he didn't throw for five thousand yards last season for no reason. They were down a lot. And had to come back a lot, and he's done that before. I think what Bruce is getting at, though, and this is something I think I mentioned on the last episode because I spoke specifically to Bruce Arians about these moments that we've seen over the the Week 3 game against Denver, which they won. The game against Carolina in Week Two, where there were moments in both of those games where most Bucks fans, if you've been a Bucks fan for a long time, felt like this is where we let this one get away. This is where we lose. This is where we figure out a creative way to let everything we've done up until this point go away and get and be wasted. Similar to how Atlanta Falcons fans feel every week now. <sighs> um, Absolutely. You know. It, you know. It's it is what it is. They They've made it an art form. They've perfected it. Congratulations to them. But anyway, uh, it, I think that's what it is. I, I asked Bruce specifically about the culture. What does it say about this team that in years past, maybe even last year, this is a team that would not have been able to on both sides of the ball. Again, I talked about it last segment. You have to have everything working together. you got to get. You got to hit your kicks. you got to win field position with good punt and good coverage. If you're going to be down 24-7 to 7 in the second quarter, you aren't going to be able to come back by just scoring points. You've got to stop letting the other team score. And so it, it takes all of that together, and that's, yes, it's execution, but it's also mentality. You know, the Bucs are about to go to Chicago and play the Bears. The last time they played the Bears in Chicago, Mitch Trubisky threw five touchdown passes, I think, all in the first half or something like that. I mean, they got shredded by the Bears. Only four guys on that defense are still with the Bucks, and so they've completely overhauled that, and they brought in not just better players, but guys who have the, the mentality that they want and the mentality that we have seen from this team over the last 4 weeks that, that is the reason they're 3 and 1. It's not all about Jameis. and and you know obviously his turnovers were a big issue and a big reason why they moved on from him in the offseason and there is a big difference between you know the risk of his turnover history versus Tom Brady's but it's it's about the whole team. It's about the mentality and the culture that they have changed over the last 5 to 10 years, even the last year. And when you bring in a guy like Brady, it definitely accelerates that from the quarterback position. But it's an overall team thing. This team would have gotten beat. Yesterday, if it was last year, if it was five years ago, for a lot of different reasons, the quarterback play is not the only
1: one. It'd be great, Luke, if Tom threw to his own guys. Stop throwing the pick sixes, right? Like we would love to see less of that. Like let's just cut that out. I know there's probably some communication and timing things going on there. How
2: about just stop making the 43 year old guy throw deep <laughs> outs to the far? Yeah, hatch, maybe. okay, maybe. Maybe help him out yeah, a little bit.
1: Yeah, you can tell Brady's really loving those questions in the pressers, right? The post game pressers. He's like, Yeah, got to execute better. Next question. But, so who the hell is Tom going to have to throw to here on Thursday night? Short turnaround, like you said, going up against the Bears here. And we know we lost O.J. Howard. That's a tough injury. Thankfully, the Bucks have some depth at that position, right? We know Godwin's banged up trying to come back. We know Mike Evans is on one leg. There's probably a bunch of other guys. Who's Brady going to be throwing to? And maybe especially at that uh, tight end position, maybe we'll see more Cameron Brait.
2: Yeah, I think we will for sure. And, uh, you know, we got to talk to Cam today. It's Tuesday. We got to talk to Cam a little bit about being able to be, and he kind of laughed about it, but he said, I'm I'm really fresh. I haven't really played a whole lot this year. I'm not used to it, but Mm. I think especially on a short week, He's really confident that he's gonna be one of the fresher guys and, and be able to take advantage of that. Obviously, you hate to see a guy like Howard go down, especially the way he's been playing the last few weeks. But this is why, and again, a lot of us gave the Bucks a lot of crap this offseason for you know, trading for Gronk, paying him nine almost ten million dollars to be here and not moving one of those other tight ends. And I mean, nobody's paying more for their tight ends than the Bucs are this year, but this is why they were so adamant about not trading away any of those guys because one injury and now you don't have depth anymore. So obviously, you know, you have the money, you might as well spend it. So they're obviously, you know, happy they made that decision. And Cameron Brate's a, a very reliable guy. One of the really the elder statesmen on this uh, on this team. Been around for a little while, but yeah, it's it's going to be a, a big challenge game planning wise. This is something I asked both Arians and, and Byron Leftwich today about the challenge of game planning for a short week when you got a lot of guys injured. You know, Monday and Tuesday practices were both walkthroughs, but they had their top four receivers and two of their top three running backs out, not practicing at all. Not great. So. Evans, Godwin, Scotty Miller, Justin Watson, all missed practice Monday and Tuesday. So you're talking about Jaden Mickens. You're talking about Cyril Grayson. You're talking about Tyler Johnson, the rookie who's injured for most of training camp, missed a lot of reps. You're talking about relying on a lot of guys that uh, that aren't seeing a lot of game reps, a lot of a lot of reps with the ones. And, and Bruce Arians told us today we might have two running backs. Yeah, Kenyon Barner, who's in the concussion protocol still. Leonard Fournette's working his way back from an ankle injury. So is LaShawn McCoy. I mean, he he seems pretty you know fifty fifty on whether or not they'll actually have more than two healthy running backs for this game, and, and Ronald Jones and Keshawn Vaughn. So you know. It's going to be a challenge for the coaches as much as the players. If I were to guess, I would say that even if Mike Evans doesn't practice at all this week, he'll end up being a technically a game-time decision. But I, if anybody watched that game on Sunday and watched Mike Evans get injured in the first quarter, really, really awkward tackle, went down bad on that ankle. You knew it was bad right away. He was he was in some pain, came off the field, went into the locker room, came back, came back into that game, I think, a, a drive or two later ended up with seven catches for 122 yards and a big touchdown, obviously, right there at the end of the half. So unless it's something that Mike can really make worse, if it's just going to be a matter of playing through the pain, I think the way he approached things on Sunday – is exactly what we'll see Thursday night. I expect him to go. Uh, I don't think Godwin will play. We kind of knew that already, that it was going to be a, a two-week injury with the short week for him. I think they'd rather have him fully healthy and rested when they face the Packers the week after that. Uh, but the big question will be, you know, Scotty Miller, who has been a big play threat for the offense so far. I think a couple weeks ago against Denver, he averaged 27 yards a catch. He's averaging almost 17 yards a catch for the season. It was close to that uh, this week against the Chargers. Had had one, one drive that was two plays, 63 yards. Scotty Miller it was a big big one and then you uh, got wide open over the middle for the touchdown on the second play so you know he's not practicing yet Watson's not practicing yet they're gonna have to rely on some of those other guys if those guys can't go but I think we'll at least see Mike Evans in the lineup the bigger question will be at running back where they might have to rely a lot on that rookie Keshawn Vaughn
1: it should be interesting this Bears team's kind of an enigma this year I, it's hard to make of what this opponent's gonna be like for the Bucks. Luke and I will take a look at that here coming up we'll be right back <laughs>
0: It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA
3: Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of Sportsbookwire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcasts, and I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Here's what you need to know to bet on Week 5 Sunday Night Football matchup between the Minnesota Vikings and Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are favored to win by seven points at home. Seahawks plus seven road dogs over under 57 and a half points. Jeff, I know we're both on the Seahawks to win this game and cover the seven points. How
2: do you feel about that over under?
3: Yes, and I'm on the over in this game. Both the Vikings and the Seahawks have gone over the total in three of their four games this season. The Vikings have scored 30-plus in three of their four games, and the Seahawks have scored 30-plus in all four games. Also, a nice little trend here. The over is cash in four of the last five Seahawks primetime home games, with the other game being a push.
2: Overs are abundant in the NFL this season. The sportsbooks are starting to take note. This 57.5 figure, way too high. Sunday night football matchup, boosting that up as well. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to BetSleeping
3: Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review.
1: So, like I said, Luke, this Bears team is hard to gauge, right? I mean, they've had they had Trubisky in there early in the year, came back and won a game. They had no business winning against the Detroit Lions in the first week. Trubisky leads into a win in week two, and then week three, all hell breaks loose. They bench Trubisky, Foles comes in, and the Bears rally against uh, who? Who was it? The Falcons, the freaking Falcons. Who else? Who else, Ryan? Again, and then the Bears bring in Nick Foles. He's the starter. They go out there, and they just get their butts kicked. Are the Colts really that good? They beat up on the Jets. They lost to the Jaguars. Like, how good are the Colts? Well, the Colts are either really dominant on defense or the Bears uh, are not very dangerous on offense with Nick Foles, right, Luke? So what's your gauge on this Bears team that the Bucks are playing on the road Thursday night football as five-and-a-half-point favorites?
2: Yeah, it's kind of kind of odd, right? That game between both the Colts and the Bears—you don't know if maybe they're the worst three and one teams in the league, right? Seriously, You're like seriously. somebody, somebody, I guess, has to win this game. I guess they could have tied, but you know, it's definitely a couple of teams where you kind of wonder how, how good they are. And I'm, i you know, some people might have similar questions about the Bucks considering the teams they've played so far, uh, being three and one. But you know, the advantages I think are going to be off the field for the for the Bears. They're playing at home. Uh, maybe being a little less banged up than the Bucks are, but once the the whistles blow and that game starts, it's it's hard to really look anywhere and see a place where the Bears are better on paper than the Bucks are. And you feel like the Bears are a team who are three and one in spite of themselves, as as opposed to because of what they have. And I think the Bucks are kind of the opposite right now. So uh, I I think this one honestly could be close if you know if there's weather, if the wind gets a hold of things, if the Bucks are really really banged up and really are missing a lot of those guys who haven't practiced this week. But you know, if if they have even some of those guys back, uh, and the weather doesn't play a huge factor, I think the Bucks could really put a pounding on the Bears, especially considering, like I said, they got whooped by them up in Chicago a few years ago. A couple guys on that roster that haven't forgotten about that and would love to lay them on, lay it on them a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's a good note to have. And then you know, I really, from a betting perspective, I look at the line, which is forty four and a half, and that's just really low, really low. So. That means Vegas is predicting a rock fight kind of deal, right? Defensive battle. What do you think about that? Like, do you think this is going to be a really low scoring ball game? Or I mean, it probably maybe that some of that has to do with the injuries too. But forty four and a half, I was a little surprised. That's definitely on the low side.
2: Yeah, I think it is on the low side, and even even considering some of those injuries, I think the Bucks have proven with their play calling they ran the ball a lot more in Week One. I think even being behind to New Orleans than they have in the last three weeks, especially on those neutral down situations where it's not really a running down or a passing down. They Over the last three weeks, they've gone from one of the worst teams in the league at choosing to run the ball in those situations as opposed to passing, and they've gone to completely the other way. Now they're passing the ball on a lot of those neutral downs more than any other team in the league. So you know I think that they're going to attack this, this Bears defense. They're going to want to get the ball out quickly. Obviously, I think the big matchup to watch in this game is going to be Khalil Mack, Against Tristan Wirf, so the rookie first round right tackle for the Bucks, Worth has gone up against a murderer's row so far this season. He's done Cam Jordan in New Orleans, you know Joey Bosa. You know after the game on Sunday, the Bucks didn't uh, surrender a single sack of Tom Brady. They've only given up five so far this season. They averaged three a game last year with Jameis Winston. So you know Tristan Wirfs is, is holding his own. Joey Bosa said after the game, you know that he's a good player who's going to be a great player in this league after facing him. So I think if, if he can handle Khalil Mack on that edge uh, and, and Tom Brady can have the kind of time he had against the Chargers, even, you know, even if they're without a couple of guys and if some of the guys are under, you know, not quite 100 percent, I don't think they were 100 percent Sunday and he still threw for 369 yards and five touchdowns. So hopefully if you're a Bucks fan, they don't need to do that. But I just I don't know unless there's weather involved. I really don't see this being a low scoring game. I think I'd probably take the over
1: here. Yeah, I'm leading over as well. And, you know, I think the Bears, the strength of their team is really their, uh, their corners grade pretty well in coverage. It's gonna be important to have Mike Evans out there feeling at least decent. Fools doesn't really scare me, you know. I just I kinda of like the Bucks in this one too. It's hard to pick against them right now going up against this team.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think that the the big advantage in this game for the Bucks will be Todd Bowles. They they have arguably the best defensive coordinator in the league. He's obviously not going to be very proud of the first half they played against the Chargers, so that's going to you know send him back to the board a little bit in preparing for Chicago. They actually said that they did you know probably seventy five percent of their preparations for the Bears alongside their preparation for the Chargers this week because of the short week. So I think that you know you'll see Todd Bowles want to go out there and, and prove that that was a fluke that first half that we saw from them against the Chargers. He's going to want to to show off against the Bears, and I think against. A team, no matter who the quarterback is, if it's Trubisky or Foles, both of those guys have seemed to struggle at times with complex defenses, defenses that show one thing and do another, that bring a lot of pressure and can change things up from a lot of different alignments. And obviously that's, you know, that's Todd Bowles calling card as a coordinator. He loves to change things up. Hmm. He loves to to manipulate what you're seeing pre-snap and, and throw you something completely different once the ball is snapped. So. I think that's gonna be the biggest advantage for the Bucks. They're also way healthier on defense. So I think that, you know, that's gonna be where the Bucs win this game. You're gonna see some big plays on defense, short fields for the offense to take advantage of. And again, I don't really see a low scoring game, even if it ends up being somewhat of a
1: blowout for the Bucs. Oh man, looking forward to this. This is a little better than Jets Broncos. This is this is a little bit better on Thursday night, you know what I mean? Like,
2: well, the what's, NFL's what's... gotta be loving this one a lot.
1: Oh, more. this is great. This is good stuff. So short wait to watch more Brady. Man, it's not that's not a bad thing.
2: It's a thing of beauty, man. It's going to be a weird Sunday after the fact, but oh, it's going to be—it's going to feel a lot, a lot, better if they're four one four in a row.
1: Have a great uh, night on Thursday. Enjoy the game, and we'll catch you next week, man.
2: You too, Ryan. Thanks, man.